right. Ska vi se bara. Titta visuellt här. Ja, men det ser bra ut. Welcome, dear listener, to Gain It For Riffs. A regular episode, finally, after weeks and weeks of Maiden Mania. We're yeah. back to normal again. And what do I hear in my mind's ear? It is Jonathan, live from Stockholm, with his clean mm, Strat, maybe? Telecaster? Clean Tele, yeah. It's been kind of main game uh, using this guitar lately. I, I, you know, I get stuck on one guitar. And then I stayed there for quite a bit, even though I have a few. And lately it's been this telly. I used to have it in an open tuning. Now it's back in standard and it's just, mm. it's always ready, I think. And I try and change the strings when they get tired too. Because tellys, they they like to sound bright and fresh, I think. They're not these dull mm. type guitars. Uh, that Maybe an SG, you can use these old dirty strings and it still sounds pretty good. That's why it's perfect for yeah. stoner doom bands, you know, with, with no money and <laughs> constantly stoned and lazy to switch strings. <laughs> I feel uh, I feel I actually made an effort today. I uh, made a, a, a quick setup on my guitar. I fixed the problem that's been haunting me. I've been not been able to have any sustain around the twelfth fret uh, on the higher strings, and it's been like oh, so annoying. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't play certain riffs that I wanted to, and in Maiden, I also it kind of kept me from uh, going all the way up there. But now I realized I that I raised the the low uh, the higher part of the bridge, and then it was fine. That cool. sounds great. Cool. Uh, still one uh, one place of the guitar that doesn't sound good, so I'm still working on it. Work in progress, let's say. Uh, but the strings are still shitty. <laughs> the strings are dirty as fuck. <laughs> it's always like, it's really hard to keep a tight ship, I think. Uh, that's why I addressed like uh, many episodes back, I think around, it was in the Beatles episode or something like that. I talked about trying to get someone to service your guitar for you. Uh, yeah. Because it's less expensive than it than what it gives. I guess today, this this particular day, maybe it's hard to go out and, and shop for a guitar tech in, in Netherlands because of current conditions. Oh, but, uh, I mean, the... Well, it would be possible. I just uh, I, I think all stores are open, and uh, mm -hmm. last time I went to a guitar store, they were like, "Yeah, it's fine. Just come in, all do right. what you want. Keep your mask on. Maybe not lick the instruments." Yeah, <laughs> now it's, it's been developing the, the the wrong way here in Sweden, but you already know that I think. So I'm gonna focus on some more positive, and I think. Ah, but it's like. Maybe Maybe it's good, like we're we're doing this archaeological uh, statements, like documentation. That in the future, when oh, this is yeah. the only thing that's left of our civilization, is <laughs> yeah. gain it for ribs. Gain it for ribs. <laughs> this will be a great treasure trove of information about what was going on in 2020. It'll be one of those goofy USB sticks, perhaps that someone finds. You know, yeah. so it doesn't need to be powered or anything. It's just a USB stick, and they can kind of by by advanced technology and and. Uh, tiny 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 little brushes they can reach those megabytes and what's in there oh it's gain it for riffs and it's in 120 <laughs> kbps it's really bad a bad yeah. uh, version of it, a bad um, rip and then they sit there yeah, they, it, they it, restore the audio and then the riff comes and like, <laughs> what is this madness <laughs> <laughs> they they've forgotten the riff. But also imagine if like the music of the 20th century had to be rediscovered through our <laughs> riff show. So the world, the, the original music wasn't there, only our interpretation. Uh, it which reminds me of this horrible premise of this Beatles film. Yeah, we talked about it before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we did. Yesterday yeah. or what was Where, it? Uh, uh, yeah, I know which film. No. Anyway. 
Yeah, but but the the premise is very simple that uh, Beatles doesn't exist, and this guy, but there, there's um, a young man who uh, knows all the songs, and he beca- he becomes huge. Yeah, uh, but he feels bad because he feels like he's a ripoff, um, which is this imposter syndrome, which I think it's interesting that you can have if you're maybe you find yourself successful, but you are also kind of wondering like, yeah, but am I, do I deserve this? You know, so I like that part, but I don't, it's such an uh, outrageous premise that like Beatles wouldn't exist. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's what's going to happen in 50 years when you listen to this, dear archaeologist. Uh, this was the only music that you hear here. It is the only music that existed. I'd love if uh, it was uh, like a professor as well that is really technically skilled and like uh, theoretically skilled. So every time we play a little sloppy, he, he, he thinks that it's advanced rhythms. <laughs> like they played in really advanced rhythms not often a clear 4-4 four, four. <laughs> it's just because we're missing <laughs> on the guitar and then he's like putting it down in notation with uh, this fe- feathered pen <laughs> the, the forbidden riff <laughs> yeah so that's about it I think yeah, not to dwell on the past but it was great fun to have the Maiden special I think you did a huge uh, put a huge effort into it and made it real fun for for a maiden nerd like me. But yeah. in the same note, it's nice to carry on, I think. It's uh, one thing I I've really enjoyed so. about um, Gaining for Riffs is that you can always kind of carry on and uh, explore something a little bit new within this format. Hmm. Yeah, I got something fresh coming up as well, but I thought uh, that you would start today. Yeah. Because I heard your clean tone on your telly, and that was really like, hmm, what a palate cleanser. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think uh, definitely not fresh, <laughs> the material I have today. And uh, I mean, it, what I tried to go for no. tone-wise was this kind of a little bit disco tone, but it's not disco music either. Uh. <laughs> Maybe you can guess kind of era just by by tone, not even by the riff. Uh, well, it sounds a bit seventies, early seventies, um, uh, but also maybe sixties. Yeah, well, you're uh, uh, kind of kind of in the ballpark there. It's um, we're, we're heading for the seventies, and uh, okay. the riff is very short, and uh, it's not very riffy either. So let's see if you can, if you can if you can <laughs> okay. catch it or not. You know, it's, it's kind of quick. edge of riftum again. Yeah, kind of quick and just passes. It goes something like this. That's it. I I, I love that sound. Um but it's really hard to make out. It's a bit, uh, and this this comes as a. I think it's is a good thing. It's a bit generic, yeah, in a way that, it, but in a good way that it could be like any of the seventies um, AOR uh, adult oriented rock right. type music. Like I'm thinking Steve Miller Band, uh, yeah, something. Yeah, Steve Miller, Steve Miller Band, exactly, Steve Miller Band. But right. it, maybe it's not. Yeah, you're not far off. You mentioned two important okay. things there. Of course, 70s AOR, American, everything correct. And then also the fact that uh, you like the sound. And maybe the sound yeah. is more important than the the riff, which is quite generic. So uh, what were you going to say? You're thinking? Uh, no, I was thinking Bach- Bachmann Turner Overdrive also. <laughs> Still in the ballpark. Still in the ballpark. Okay. Uh, it's, it, ah, it, yeah, I don't really have like, uh, too many other riffs because the band... It's not that riffy either. So uh, okay. we shouldn't torture you. 
No, especially since you're so close. This band okay. is, or actually, it's both a band and not really a band. Mm. It's kind of not a band, but still, it's, uh, do you know? Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's my know. best clue. But uh, again, let's okay, not it's not here. It's not the band. <laughs> no, it's not the band. No. And it's not kind mm. of not a band even, but... Uh, it is prom- was promoted as such, and it was promoted under the banner of Boston. Boston, yeah, okay, okay. I felt uh, Boston, yeah, yeah. It was close, but I, I don't know. Don't they have riffs? Yeah, they have some like smoking. More than a feeling. That's a fucking riff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's how it goes. Uh, like, uh... <laughs> okay. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Born. It's quite like this riff that I played. Um... You know, they're kind of related, right? And uh... yeah, yeah. But but let let me uh, let me actually guess the song because it's really i it's a good one i think yeah that i i also heard and really liked um hit your ride no uh no it's from the same album uh, this is from oh, like fuck. this long kind of tune that is divided in two actually and it's the second part of that it's one a f- it's a foreplay long time yeah exactly so this is long time ah. Been such a long time <laughs> And then, of course, we have more than a feeling with the... Can you kind of hear in that? You can't if... play it too fast, then it sounds like another song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what, what I was going to ask. Can you hear what other song that really sounds like? Yeah, it sounded like Nirvana. Exactly. And uh, Kurt has mm. stated also that it, it is Boston-inspired indeed. That is it is an interesting, uh, you know, it's it's enough of a change, you know, to make it actually a very uh, tasty inspiration. I think that yeah. if you get, if you really like, oh wow, it's that that is really fun. It's not as fun as uh, "Come As You Are," which is like this super rip off of uh, kill, a killing joke song. Mm. Forgot that one even. I don't even remember Commercial. <laughs> and it's not where we are. We're at Boston now. The American yeah. rock band Boston. Which uh Boston. This song that I picked long time. And uh, we're also gonna feature basically it's a feature of, of the first Boston album entitled Boston. Mm. Uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, can you pronounce Ooh. that that state better than me? Massachusetts. Boston, Massachusetts. 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 Uh, I I have to I have to um, uh, we had a guest a few episodes back, uh, Isaac, and he was uh, I think <laughs> I never seen him as upset as when I said that the wire was recorded in Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, <laughs> <laughs> right? Actually in uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. Uh, so now we have that said, he will be happy. Yeah. Anyway, back to Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stay away from that, from that, from that uh, part. But I'm gonna have to say that again. Okay, so let's practice. Massachusetts, Massachusetts. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's gonna be hard today. Lots of good lit. Massachusetts. 
Yeah, that's where we are anyway. We are with the, in okay. Boston, with the band Boston, and uh, the the era is uh, is it mid seventies, right? Uh, I think they yeah they they kind of started in seventy five, mm-hmm. and the debut is from seventy six, so it's kind of mid late seventies. I think disco is already on the horizon at this time, so it's kind of um, everyone is trying to do disco, including the rockers and including like classic rock bands. I don't know when when Kiss went all disco maybe that was a bit later uh i mean quite you know like it's an interesting way i i thought about this as uh like a, a point of discussion but maybe it's i don't know if it fits in here but like when you know when there's a big trend and uh bands most bands just jump on the bandwagon you know when they when they release their first uh, albums and kind of set the tone then here comes disco and like oof, we have to jump on that but they're always too late. You know, they're always like two, three years afterwards when it's like maybe at the height, sure. It's on the height of the um, uh of the popularity. But then, you know, it just disappears and that kind of switch in genres, it becomes really, you know, embarrassing after the fact. And also the the, the their original fans just become really upset. So I, I don't know what do you what do you think? Is it a good thing to just jump on the trend like that to make a lot of money? Okay, now that's a very <laughs> I mean when you ask it like okay. that, of course it's gonna <laughs> what be can you say? It's like a leading question, right? So it's gonna be kind of a no, a clear no. But uh, it's an interesting topic and I think I think it's a more interesting topic than to have it uh, massacred by a leading question. So we could uh, suck on that a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, no, I, I still have like comment on it. Uh, for example, okay. uh, when, when I started playing, when I started playing metal, like uh, early 2000s, we had this local band with uh, our, our friend and uh, band colleague uh, Antonio, his band at the time, Subside, with, with Ola England, you know, famous for his YouTubing these days. They had this yeah. pretty good band with this... Uh, Pantera, definitely Pantera sound, and a little bit Lamb of God, very much like this hardcore-inspired uh, metal that was current at the time. And I was, they were really good too, they played well. And I thought, like, why aren't they making it? And then yeah. I kind of realized already at the time that maybe this is way too late. You know, Pantera kind of broke new ground in 91. And then you were in the early mm. 2000s, and you're kind of treading the same broken ground, you know? Not to put the band down because they were good, but they couldn't really make their mark. You know, there was no mark to yeah. make. I mean, it, it's even like with with our band. Uh, I think <laughs> we we started playing when there was like a, a small resurgence of uh, like this type of music that we were playing. Uh, but it was not even like close to the original times. You know, which was the seventies rock. Mm. Uh, southern rock and stuff, but then you know we, we came along at the resurgence, but also a bit bit too late. Yeah, you know, and I mean we we were not uh, maybe not in the ballpark of uh, like playing as well as Subside, but still like you know we were inspired by something, you know, and we wanted yeah. to play it. So I think that in 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 the sense that's more important than being you know right on time. I mean you. If you are, that's fine. But I mean, at some point, you're gonna fall out of time as well. Um, um, but I yeah. want to hear a bit more about Boston and uh, long play. But, uh, yeah, no, play. Uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting with Boston because we've been discussing a few times lately, or actually all over this series, this podcast, uh, the bedroom guitarist, right? Mm. Uh, the modern bedroom guitarist plugs himself in into his audio interface, does everything himself, probably program drums. You know, not in a band situation, right? Which is common these mm. days. 
Yeah, definitely. I think I know where you're going also. Yeah, because it was way less common in the mid-70s, right? And uh, mm. that's kind of where we step in into the, uh, the lore of Boston with uh, Mr. Tim Schultz from Boston, again, <laughs> yes. a Boston kid. And he, uh, he was this um, engineer. He went to MIT, uh, like this prestigious university for technology in, in Boston. And um, he succeeded. He got a job. I think he worked for Polaroid uh, for years. Well paid. Yeah, Polaroid. And uh, while doing this, he had his man cave, his basement, where he, where he had this interest in rock music, and, and both technically and aesthetically. So he was uh, mm. making the studio, as many guys do today, right? Because it's way cheaper. But back then he did it with tape, Beatry Hammond organ, a little drum room that he separated himself. Everything very tight too. It wasn't a huge locale that he worked in. So it's kind of this madman, you know, <laughs> this madman yeah. uh, uh, cave again, like a cave or a, a dungeon of, of his, where he kind of crafted this uh, just because he wanted to do it, just because he wanted to hear it. And he said that he didn't really think that it would work for anyone else, but he just wanted to do it. And he, um, he did his demos. And uh, I mean, it's kind of incredible to think that someone can do it all in, in 75. You know, this involves stopping and starting tapes, moving around in the room, uh, doing takes on the drums uh, with some kind of backing or yeah. not, you know, uh, adding click tracks onto tape, you know, again, not mm. pushing play on a click track, but recording it onto a tape, playing it to himself. And he said that it was very time consuming. Everything would have been quicker. Yeah if it was an actual team working. Do you have any initial exactly. comments on, on this on this situation, this rare situation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but I think there is uh, also a upside is that you really have total creative control yourself. Uh, or uh, Tim yes. Schultz had. Tim Schultz uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he had completely complete control, which uh, gives him also, He can work late hours, he can work all night, he can work for like a year, you know, no one is there to stop him. And I think that's also kind of the um, allure of doing it today. Even it's the same thing, you know, like do it yourself. Don't have to, um, at least for your first album or your first release, you don't have to uh, uh, think about what anyone else thinks. You can just do your thing. Then I think it becomes harder to maintain, uh, or maybe back in the day, to maintain this kind of uh, uh, process. Yeah. Do it yourself when a band and a tour and a manager and a management and everything is involved. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. He kind of had everybody fooled as well that it was a band because he's such a good player. He doesn't sing. That's the only thing he doesn't do. Uh, otherwise, it's mm. just him. And he got help from his friend Brad Delp, who should be mentioned, yeah. who did singing. And also on live, he did the acoustic guitar kind of um, fill in and then two electrics. Kind of a, a big band, right? But they have this big, hmm. lush sound too. That's kind of the Boston trademark, I think. And the production hmm. was—I uh, I remember Rick Beato mentioning this—that it was something really new at the time. You hadn't heard it before. It was a really good sound, and everyone was wondering, "What studio is it? What studio is it?" Yeah, <laughs> no one knew that it was actually this madman cave, right? Uh, with this, uh, <laughs> where this engineer is just nerding away. And uh, he uh, he kind of did it all himself uh, with Brad's help, and then got a deal. But they wanted to record normally. They were like, "Okay, you got hit songs here. Let's go to L.A. That's how it's done." Yeah. And uh, he almost agreed, but uh, 
you quickly figure out, maybe being an engineer, you know, knowing the flowcharts of, of life, <laughs> I guess, they quickly figured out that <laughs> I got to do this myself. It's not going to work out otherwise, uh, which mm. he did. And also that's made him incredibly rich because he, he really owns uh. this album. Just a, mm. the, He just had a publisher really for it and it's super well sold. Millions of copies. Yeah. It's one of those super hits like debut albums. Uh, everyone had it, in at least in America, in the 70s. It's kind of the fitting, the, the cover art of the um, uh, UFO or the spaceship, yeah. uh, that it was really something out of this world that just came and knocked everyone out, in a way, right? in rock. Because like, at this time, I think they were, they were a bit later than all the dinosaurs. I mean, they felt a bit fresh also. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's is, is, the, their contemporaries are more like you know Journey than Black Sabbath. I would say uh, it's really uh, kind of um, it has a, uh, a a very sentimental vibe to it. The music, um, yeah, well, especially more than the feeling, uh, and it's it's not very it's not that <laughs> brutal is the wrong word, but it, it's not so aggressive, right. at all. Right, no, it's, uh, it's very smooth. But it, it, which, which I think, uh, I feel a bit that this they set the tone for the bedroom guitarist that would come decades later. That that the music that is made in the bedroom is almost never, you know, like this this hard aggressive stuff. But it's more like um, not uh, experimental, but then also kind of jazz fusionish uh, because uh, and uh, you. And always there is the, the sense that you take it a bit too far, always, because there's no one to stop you. So Yeah, a lot of layers. <laughs> it's, it's usually quite layered. A lot of layers, yeah. uh, unnecessarily so, maybe. And uh, um, yeah, the, 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 the sense that no one can stop you is a good thing, but I can also think it can be an Achilles heel uh, down the line. I think so too. And it's, I mean, that's really a good point that you have that in common with uh, today's bedroom guitarists, maybe doing a, something. Um, bit gentish here you have it but with the, this pop rock sensibility to it yeah and uh, not not too disco but definitely fits into this disco era both the look of uh, of the album with the spaceship and this kind of danceable grooves and he adds a lot of hand claps and finger snaps too uh, both in more than a feeling and this one you have that very engaging hand clap and acoustic strumming coming in mm. uh, like the the, the 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 kind of forward drive of this riff just kind of hooks you up right uh, tells you like here comes here comes the chorus yeah from um, a, a guitarist perspective but not from a shredder perspective he just kind of wants to write songs i think yeah comes from a very um, comes from a very natural angle i would say it, it, it's not really forced uh, tim schultz activity in music and he he also went back to engineering afterwards because he had a passion for that too so he started to make uh, this rockman audio products oh yeah uh, for guitar, and he has his own crazy rig. His father was, uh, you know, as parents can be, his father was kind of hesitant to him going into music. Mm. And then when he went back to engineering, his father was like, what are you doing? Do music. <laughs> <laughs> like, Why are you well, wasting your time making all this gear? 
I think there's something endearing with, you know, fathers, of course, I think like that. But that do you have so many expectations when your kids are uh, growing up? You, you think maybe that they shouldn't do all the mistakes that you did, they should like, or they should continue the legacy, or maybe they should do whatever they want, but it's still like you're always surprised with what they end up doing. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, but that's uh, that's an amazing thing about it as well. I, just short aside there. Um, uh, yeah. But I, I was thinking uh, for for this album, how, how long did it take uh, Tim Schultz to make the first Boston album? Right, uh, I'm 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 guessing that he worked uh, parallel to actually working on Polaroid, so that could have been taking some time. Um, he made demo tapes, so from what I, what I can see, he started writing in '69, which was way before. Oh, yeah. but I think that that particular recording uh, started in. 74 because he had a, an actual band before that okay uh, that the, the, the disbanded with the, uh, this band called mother's milk <laughs> with, with brian delp so that's where he knew ah, brian delp okay, from. okay and they, they disbanded in 74 and uh, in 75 he was already on the boston train so i think uh, a year maybe mm. not too long for what it is it's strange uh, have you ever thought about that that when you think back i mean we didn't live through those times when you think of well maybe 69 uh, as opposed to 74 it's like two different ages you know there was so much happening in music and culture during those times that is yeah. so and like it, all the albums that were released in the beginning end of the 60s beginning of the 70s like there's so like every week there was like a future classic album released so much music and like really albums because albums were the you know the thing uh yeah so a lot and a lot of music that was forgotten as well you know and this is really like coming uh as something i've been thinking about and maybe not really related to <laughs> the topic but you know like when you said 69 it's like okay that feels really like uh one era and he started playing yeah. and maybe had the ideas already of some of these songs uh that then were released in, as boston in the 70s like in a totally different musical landscape when all the uh, the bands that started in the uh, late 60s were already dinosaurs, already dying out. Uh, it's a bit yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah, it is really mind-boggling. Okay, so I read up a little bit, and it seems like the, uh, the debut was released in the middle of 76, so it could have been almost a couple of years from um, this band and the other band, Mother's Milk. And he claimed that already in 74 they had four songs for, for the debut, so I think they worked on it quite a bit. Or he, rather, worked on it quite a bit. Yeah. And then there's Brad coming in. And there's one cut on the album that they also did in a studio because it's one of Brad's songs. The title escapes me now, but they did one song in the studio and it's kind of, most people agree that it sounds a little bit less quality than what's done in his basement, yeah. which is remarkable, you know, from this high-tech, or not high-tech, but state-of-the-art studio in LA. They couldn't even match his own making and i think you know it, it it says something for for the creative freedom you get when you're when you're the engineer the songwriter the producer and everything in the same guy and he seems to have this kind of tireless energy maybe good working ethic mm. maybe not too much drug use you know so it's kind of this it fits the aor tag yeah i, think, it, uh, I mentioned journey but i'm also thinking kansas uh you know like similar in musical sim similarities you know this kind of yeah. thing that's not 
it's it, it's well well produced it's sold millions but it's not like you don't get super excited by it <laughs> the, but no, exactly. but boston is a bit different i think it's the the story of this guy just you know like having his interest and uh, uh, can i really maybe i can pull this off maybe i can make like this super record yeah and then he he does it um yeah and of course, being very surprised that it, it's such a hit. Mm. Happily surprised. And I mean, still obviously rich because of this. I mean, they sold 75 million albums. Okay, that's, uh, that's 75 that's million more amount. than you and me have ever sold, I think. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> but also, I mean, I, I don't think I could have attended MIT either. I mm. think I would have dropped out of that too. You know, I think he's, he's maybe a doer and maybe like strong working ethic or something like that. Yeah. Translated quite well. And I think we could just... Address the tag AOR. Yeah. Is it adult-oriented rock? Yes. Or is it American-oriented rock? No, adult-oriented rock. And uh, it's not like an adult adult toy store, uh, which, you know, it's not <laughs> no. that... Which I thought maybe when I heard it the first time, adult-oriented, it's like, it's like uh, this... Uh, what are they called? This uh, sex band that had uh, sex on stage. Uh, rock bitch rock bitch no that, that's not what adult oriented rock is it's really like you know made for uh, to to succeed you know be the, like you know adult oriented rock like it's kind of close also to Fleetwood Mac but I think there's more um, there's more uh, how do you say there, there's more scandal <laughs> there's too much scandal in that <laughs> band you know you need some kind of uh, wholesome characters like Tim Schultz, you know, you can count on him being drug free, uh, staying home on a Friday night, you know, like this kind of. Yeah. Um, but the, but it's also the sound, you know, the sound of uh, Steve Miller Band Kansas. Um, what well, Tom Petty, I would say later also, it's also adult oriented rock, uh, and it cannot be, re- it can be really great. Um, but uh, I imagine kind of uh, this dinner setting, you know, this adult oriented rock. So it's it's. Uh, Proper adults putting on, um, putting on the album, not super loud, but on a reasonable listening volume, and maybe opening a bottle of wine or something. Yeah, it's, yeah maybe it's like your your dad on a Friday night. Like, what should we listen to? <laughs> yeah, on. but he actually doesn't really like this uh, AR. I think it's too late for him. Uh, okay, I think I listen more to that. He's he's. I mean, he's more on the '60s side of things. Mm. More on the what was that group called? Um, the Lauderdale Group, or what was it? Canyon, Laurel Canyon group. Uh, Laurel, Ca- uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, Laurel Canyon, uh, Jackson Brown, and uh, uh, yeah, that that type of music. That's uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also <laughs> thinking about this scene <laughs> in in South Park when uh, when um, uh, they've discovered Guitar Hero and they're playing uh, on their plastic guitars, and, and then Randy. Stan's father gets all excited. Oh, they discovered my my type of music, and he comes in. He's set up with an SG, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then he's like, Which is a cool fucking riff, uh, Carry On, Wayward yeah. Son, but, you know, they just look at him <laughs> like it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Once I rose above the noise and confusion, <laughs> and then the sad and then the final solution. 
I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. <laughs> It's very fun because it's a good like kind of depiction of how two generations can never fully meet because they play this song in, in Guitar Hero, which was a big game at the time, and, <laughs> and then he's so happy, and as you say, he comes in set up with his SG, <laughs> and like I can, I'm done with the kids now. He plays the song, singing, and everything. <laughs> the first comment by Eric is, uh, "That's gay, Mr. March." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they also had this. Uh... AOR song rather than uh, Carry On Wayward Son. Um, yeah. Also fantastic. I mean, maybe not enough to feature, but it was so nice just to like, oh, I know this riff, you know. <laughs> yeah. It you know, it's perfectly. really good, really good stuff, but it, you know, it's kind of after after all the all the dinosaurs and the, the right. rock started sounding a bit old at that time, I think. And I can imagine that yeah. it, it was easy for disco and punk rock to take over you know like it's yeah it it gets it had a short a short fuse definitely but then boston i think operates as an aor band way more than kansas i would say now after playing the songs they operate on a different yeah. level and they, they could succeed also with the, the the audience that were getting older you know they could yeah. appreciate a band like uh, like boston yeah, and I think uh, they they were featured in South Park as well. Uh, not only Kansas, but Boston. When uh, uh, Kyle's dad was uh, trolling on the internet, <laughs> scan count forty two, and yeah. he he has his like me time when he logs in. He puts on Boston on vinyl, <laughs> and then he goes out troll, trolling the local mothers of the community. <laughs> it's, it's very fun. The song "Smoking." And as the Hammond organ solo goes, he also solos on his keyboard, soloing away with his trolling. <laughs> it's great. It's great because it kind of puts the perspective of the adult nerd in there, you know, the kind of geek that retreats to his man cave. Yeah. In this case, to troll. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's a it's an open um, open goal. Do you say that in English? Uh, that you know, like it's so easy to make fun of someone's. Uh, musical heroes you know like when they're old you know like you have the 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 musical critic that only likes bruce springsteen you know that that was really a thing it's really a thing in sweden that he always gets he doesn't get four or five on his new albums or uh, he doesn't get a five out of five he gets a six out of five you know it's like Mm. better than (laughs) better than the rest better than best um, it, yeah. it's this kind of uh, raising something too high that you can't see it clearly you can't see um, it uh, objectively anymore it's all just uh, a subjective right. uh, idol idol tree yeah 
uh, yeah, kind of idol worship. And yeah. I, but I think you got a good point there, and I think it's also kind of important in 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 music listening that you should kind of put your favorites up there on a pedestal and just kind of really dig into them because I think if you put value in things, something comes back, right? So if you start really put, putting value into the music of Bruce Springsteen because he's so talented, you will get something back. So mm-hmm. I can understand these people, but obviously from an outsider's perspective, it's kind of corny. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just yeah, yeah, diving yeah. into this one. Yeah, but it's it, one favorite. It, it is this, you know, like you, you know, what I, I don't know. So what, what I didn't listen to really what was popular when I was growing up. If I had, uh, you know. That would have been. It did. It, you kind of don't have a choice, you know. It was like Green Day and Offspring was the like coolest things. Um, yes, <laughs> when I was ten, uh, we quickly looked backward, you know, and found just a few years prior, Dehumanizer, and uh, maybe right. a bit earlier, Alive After Death. You know, that's you know, you can you can find some stuff if you manage, but hard hard not to keep to the trends. A question on that. Do you think Green Day is is that an adult oriented punk band? No. No, no. They they are cynically teenage oriented. You know, remember when they released this mm. um American Idiot song yeah. and album and they got they went to the well this is also ridiculed in South Park of course. This is maybe the South Park episode. Uh but this uh, they go to Hot Topic. Uh and they buy all their clothes there. They get this, uh, you know, um, a black, uh, what's called eye, uh, eyeliner. No, what's it called uh, when you? Uh, yeah, kajal. eyeliner, mascara. And mascara. they they really dress up like the the emo teens, and they make music for them. You know, when they re- they passed thirty, they may, maybe even passed forty at that point, but they really yes. made like anthems for. They they kind of, I don't know, with, with some kind of trick they advanced from like a skate uh skate punk culture of early 90s to the emo scene of early 2000s without no one really like uh, understanding or noticing that shift that is so uh corporate i think yeah very it's very clever if very they clever planned it and pulled it off uh, and i think that differentiates them from boston because i think boston never really had a resurgence of kind of the new Boston, you know, coming onto a new trend. They kind of made the best album as the first, and then a couple of more. So, uh, you know, it was was a single idea. It was not uh, molded or corporate in in a sense like uh, Green Day. And I think uh, just to kind of contrast Green Day and close off this section, um, he has also great leads. Okay, uh, Mr. Schultz. So uh, I can't do it live because you need the backing, but I'll add onto here as a final segment this part of long time mm. with a bit of lead work on it wow Very nice. Got me uh, breathing hard, definitely. Very good. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice that you brought out uh, Boston out of the closet, I, w- I must say. Uh, yeah. Out of the recording studio. You know, hey, hey man, is your new record ready? We're ready for you. It's 2020. <laughs> You've yeah, been sitting there exactly. for quite some years. 
Uh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ni- nice to talk about Boston and nice, nice riffage too on the album, even though it's not much riffs going on. Mm. And but I think uh, also the fact that he's such a wholesome guy makes this less scandals and stuff to talk about. You know, he, did, he didn't do a lot of crazy stuff. What he did was just excel in two fields, and uh, his dad was confused because his son was doing too well. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's the situation. <laughs> so there's, there's not, not a ton of worship, uh, not a ton of gossip on him, but I think definitely deserves his spot in for riffs and sure. uh, yeah i'm kind of curious who's next to join the ranks it's funny i mean we almost every time it feels that we we choose something that's uh somehow connected and i think in the in the in the terms of uh a brilliant brilliant genius uh type level type of playing level type of artistry we we really like yeah, connected there um but i shouldn't say too much so let me riff right Yeah, it's um, probably a new riff to me. Uh, kind of interesting how it's built. In my head, I'm trying to recreate a backing to it, what could be around this riff. But it's kind of hard. I'm struggling a little bit to, to recreate it in my head. Maybe a clue? All right, so uh, the artist in question, uh, he started in the 70s, but he had a huge career uh, arguably one of the big superstars um but also maybe not uh it's crazy because he's is such a good guitar player but it's not what he's most famous for really it's like his songs his um huge ego but also definitely his songs and his um attitude i would say is uh his most famous uh the most fa- famous attributes about him but his guitar playing is off the hook, you know. And uh, Prince, Prince, yes, yeah, definitely yeah, Prince. That's right. As soon as you started talking about this character, yeah, then I then I could fill in what I tried to do when you played the riff the first time, try and fill in a backing because it's a kind of peculiar riffage. Mm. And um, and but as soon as you started talking about this larger than life character, first I thought David Bowie, but then he doesn't play guitar, <laughs> and then I moved straight to to Prince. Which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Prince, here we go. Well, I mean, this, uh, this song is called Bambi, uh, and it's off the Prince self-titled album uh, from 1979, his second album, uh, that also had, uh, well, uh, the, the super hits. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't already a super hit, but uh, I Want to Be Your Lover. Maybe you remember. I want to be your lover. lover. <laughs> that one. And uh, I mean, it's still, and it has this amazing cover of him. Uh, yeah, from the from the nipple up, exactly. <laughs> his nipple <laughs> is, the, uh, is where it starts. And then he's naked. And uh, it's great hair. 
really nice mustache, you know, and a, a blue background and just prints. And then that, that kind of set the stage also, or set the tone for all his um, <laughs> future album art, you know, with him uh, increasingly naked and uh, provocative on the on the album. Until the 90s, where he discovered, like, um, uh, Photoshop and, like, 3D Studio Max or something and did really horrible <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But in the 80s, I mean, the undisputed, like, uh, sex king, I would say. You yeah. know, like, no one was sexier. And it was really, like, between him and Michael Jackson. And, you know, already then people kind of understood that Michael is, you know, uh, he tries there, but he comes off a little bit too weird. While Prince, mm -hmm. you know, has this, it's more natural coming from him. And also, what, but his guitar playing, it's just... Uh, yeah. It's just crazy. It's and those cool cats, you know, uh, just to quickly add, you have um, Prince, you have Phil Linnott, you have um, Jimi Hendrix, you know, <laughs> these kind of cool cats that have a natural swagger about them. Yeah, and I think, I think you need, you feel that, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, he he's like, he has all these melodic lines also in his uh, guitar playing from the same record. There is um, uh the why you treat me so bad it has just has this small thing in the start which is really nice he has all these small things uh, littered all over his records uh, but it, it's impressive because i mean uh, if i were that good on guitar my albums would be totally guitar centric but he goes way beyond that, you know. He makes music, um, like for instance, his first album. He plays all the twenty-seven instruments, uh, and that was the connection I wanted to make with uh, Tim Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just right. uh, incredible. I've, I've been I've been geeking out a bit on Prince uh, last few weeks. Uh, on which album can you find uh, "Kiss" that song? Kiss. It's from Parade. Um, the this album, this black and white cover. Um, yeah. That's a really cool song, I think. Good hit song. Definitely. Uh, can you sing that one? Uh, no. <laughs> I, can't re I only remember the, the, the war guitar hook now. Kiss. That's all I remember. <laughs> but it's such a good hook. And uh, again, with that swagger, that style. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's good, like uh, kind of slick pop, you know. Yeah, it works in the Södra Latin music school, you know, uh, for studio musicians. They can listen to this type of music. Yeah, but still, it works for the wider audience too, right? It's not playing above their heads. Mm. Yeah, but uh, definitely. I mean, and I don't want to go too far already because I want to stick a little uh, stick around on this song a little bit, uh, Bambi, uh, which I think is. Maybe a, a standout track if you're looking for riffage because he's uh, he's more of a you know solo like really solo like solo guitar player. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll bring out an example later uh, or in the end, uh, and not from me then, but just a clip. But uh, but here he really like yeah gets this uh, nice funky uh, funky ass riff. Let's see. <laughs>
stuff going on. It sings above that. It's like, mm, it's a really cool song. Uh, highly recommend it. Speaking of him being a cool cat, he once did this power move of putting together a backing band with only female musicians. And they were all kind of completely ripping it up. Yeah. So, you know, this, this uh, small, cool guy walks on stage with this backing band, all female, and just crushes it. Mm. And uh, I recently watched this uh, Jeff Beck live video. And it was the same bass player. She looks like she's 14, but she's 21 in that video. Incredible, incredible rhythmical bass playing. Mm. And also in these riffs that you bring out here, you can hear that it relies a lot on the rhythm. Like that. Yeah. These different like muted hits in between. It's all very danceable. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's just uh, I think I think it's so much fun stuff going on. I mean, he even made this. Um, uh, he made a lot of uh, movie soundtracks, like uh, the Batman soundtrack, which is totally crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I would say. love that. When I was when I was a kid, I loved that. Yeah, it was one of my early music memories. But of course, then he, he, you know, he was uh, uh, he, he wanted to star in films also. So he made he uh, they recorded um, they filmed the Purple Rain movie where he's uh, the main character. But uh, yeah. but he's also he also made the music. I mean, that's maybe arguably his biggest hit. Definitely, uh, Purple Rain. I'm not going to play that one, but I just think the chords are really tasty. Easy to solo over, which he definitely does. Yeah, it sounds it sounds so expensive. Uh, that's a word I get. You know, I've, I get several words here with Prince. One is danceable, <laughs> another one is swagger, and now also expensive. Mm. There's a like it sounds sounds really high quality. Yeah. all of this like high yeah. end product in a way. And yeah. I think that kind of maybe signifies him in a way. Mm. What would you say? Uh, I think mean, definitely uh, productive, and he was often hinder uh, hand. What's called. Um, hampered by his relationship to his, the record company he was on Warner Brothers uh, and they were it weren't that good to him I mean they they uh, promoted him yeah sure but when he he had this uh, he was really you know insecure about uh, some things and he made a record that uh, was going to be called Black Album uh, way before Metallica and I think even mm. before uh, Spinal Tap not sure uh, but Mother it has a, a black, yeah. It, it was really like a rip, -off, more rip off of the be uh, rip off. Uh, um, how do you say a riff on the Beatles? Uh, that it was a black album with just um, uh, the number, you know, the serial number. And uh, he he got uh, cold feet and he didn't want to release it. So he released, um, uh, I think, Love Sexy instead. It's also going even even further. Uh, exploring sexual the themes and uh, definitely the the cover of that one but uh so the black album wasn't released and then the warner brothers were like ah come on what's this uh we want to release it and they did later release it without his permission and he was super angry and he left them uh but yeah. not yet there because what he did was actually that he changed his uh his uh, name uh to right. a, to the symbol that uh, was uh, you couldn't pronounce it, so he, wa he wanted to, you know, put a, a spoke in the wheel of their um, uh, their what's called promotion 
uh, and they so they couldn't. It was really hard to promote an artist that doesn't have a name. So well, the radio host they started started to call him the artist formerly known as Prince, but his name, his actually art, artist name, was this symbol. Um, and what's that your, was you know like reflection the, the, on that. I want to hear. I want to hear your personal opinion on that. Yeah, because it's just a maybe divisive. Uh, thing you know to just switch your name out for a symbol is it incredibly pretentious and kind of shit move or is it cool no but yeah, I, th- cool I think it's Meister say? i think it's I, I because i've when it happened back then i remember remember it happened and i was like oh this is very confusing but now when i i realized that it's because he felt uh, that he wanted to uh, he wanted a revenge on his record um on the record company, you know that that was his, you know that was his retaliation to make it harder yeah. to promote him. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's keeping the integrity. Uh, it's like a pyrrhic victory when you you know you take a, you kind of win by destroying your enemy, but to yes. destroy your enemy, you also have to blow up yourself. Let's say, um, and uh, but he succeeded. He he left them and he uh, started his own uh, recording company and kind of went. Uh, all in and uh, uh, apparently or this is the myth that after he died or it, it, they realized you know like but just looking at what he um, what was in his uh, house so like what, what was in uh, the how do you say Dutzbo what do you say Stabhaus um, uh, yeah <laughs> well kind of what, what was in his uh, ledgers you know they realized he has Probably over fifty records uh, already recorded, uh, finished records, yeah. and that were never released. Crazy. Plus, mu- as a, plus like twenty music videos uh, that were never right. released. And that's uh, he's so productive, overproductive. But then I think he also has a sense of choosing what to release because most of his releases, which are quite a lot, uh, were successes and critical, uh, critically acclaimed albums. Um, yeah, so he was doing pretty good, you know. I would say. I heard uh, I heard this before, but I was reminded now about these fifty records uh, after he died, and I think it really makes sense. Uh, his quality is a quality not only of writing, but also a quality in choosing and selecting uh, yeah. out of what you've written, out, out, out of what you've written, what you're going to release. You know, and I like that. I think you you have to have this idea, like. Um, get yourself into the listener's ears, not just the artist that wants to express himself because you've done that, you have your 10 albums ready, but then when you have those 10 albums, maybe when you choose what to release, you kind of enter the listener's realm. And I think that's why he's huge, you know, good selections. Definitely. Um, And also kind of uh, keeping uh, the interest, I mean, he is quite a mysterious persona, but he kept that... Uh, interest among his fans, you know, for uh, for quite some time. Or, uh, when he finally re- realized that there was something called the internet, you know, he really he started releasing uh, special uh, editions and stuff on online. But he also made secret shows where he just uh, uh, the only thing he released was a date of the show, and then you had to uh, follow him on Twitter to realize like where is it? You know, there were clues. So he was really like good at using marketing for himself, and he, I think he never really needed a a big. Uh, I mean, he could have done it himself, but it, 
strangely enough, he went back to Warner Brothers uh, <laughs> late in his career before he oh, died. Okay. Uh, I don't know. It, it also, it's hard to know. It, it's hard to penetrate, you know, like his mind. You know, so it's, it's impossible to know what that guy thinks. Uh, also yeah. quite private. Right. And I mean, his death is uh, it's very it's tragic and uh, not much to dwell on because I think I want to uh, wanted to celebrate um, his life, but I also wanted to celebrate my new interest in his music, um, and also, but his his use of the guitar, I would say, uh, like the "When Doves Cry," which starts with a crazy octaver solo <laughs> out of nowhere, it's just like, <laughs> and then becomes like a radio hit song. Without compromise, it's just like the guitar yeah. is a uh, his in, his huge interest in guitars, you know. Like and that uh, just shows that he he introduces, but he can also make songs completely without it. And I think that's the real strength. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's definitely on a different level than Tim Schultz. Mm. Uh, I think most would agree. But I also think that, as you said, they have a, a touching ground in the fact that they they do it themselves. You know. Yeah. They realize their own ideas, and uh, I think that's that's usually a strength in most cases. Some some guys they have the strength of needing another guy to write with. That could also be a strength, you know, kind of relationship type thing. And yeah. uh, others have the strength of being able to do it on their own terms completely. Really, not re- not really needing any help. No, exactly. And I think, but one thing that must be said is that he also wrote music for other artists, like sometimes uh, undercover, sometimes uh, with his name. I mean, he uh, and they, they all became huge hits. I'm just thinking about some Madonna he worked with. They made an album together, I think, even. Um, and then mm-hmm. uh, the Bangles. He made his Manic Monday song that was their biggest hit he of course like maybe the most important one uh, nothing compares to you uh Sinead uh, o'connor you know her like one hit wonder mm. song that's just like amazing and he uh made that there was a song he made in the 80s that um that she released later um you know so he, he also had the songwriter quality um yes when it was steve it was a good story like stevie nicks had uh, she was she had dreamt up uh, a melody that she wanted, uh, um, and then when she woke up, she was like, "Oh, I got this melody," and she called uh, Prince and was like, "Ah, yeah, sorry to bother you." And like, I, here in the city, we're recording. Uh, I got this idea, and he showed up twenty minutes later. You know, so he's, you know, <laughs> he's both maybe both a diva, but also cool. this like guy who's interested in when stuff happens. He's there. He wants to be yes. there. Like a, a doer, also like he's just executing the plan, right? Yeah. Um, but then, does like, uh, do, do you have a relationship to him, to his music, or like, uh, do, do you, you talked about the, the Batman soundtrack? You liked it a lot. Yeah, I think that was mainly due to Batman and me being. A yeah, kid. okay. Uh, but still, you know, that, that it was it was around, and I think I remember the vinyl and how it looked. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's this is vague memories, and then I've had this, this going up and down with Prince. I've sometimes felt that he was maybe an overhyped artist uh, or an overhyped guitarist uh, because a lot of people just talk about him. He's just mm. this huge name. But um, I think uh, my good friend Christian always liked him, and always kind of as soon as I started <laughs> going on a rant about him possibly being overrated, he dug up another song and sent it my way. Yeah. You know, not the last one, but another good one. Just kind of okay. Here's another example, or here's another 
uh, word put in for Prince, so to say. Mm. And uh, now having heard some riffs here and a little bit of your trivia and like gained it, gained it for riffs. Yeah, you know, when when Prince went gain, uh, now I'm the interest is sparked again, and I think it's one of those artists that is hard to escape. I think uh, at some point you're gonna probably listen to his music and get into it, and maybe more now than before in my case. Yeah, and maybe this is a good uh, opportunity just to listen to his. Uh, I mean, this this is this particular recording has been hailed as the maybe the best guitar solo ever. And at first, when you think that okay, uh, okay, that's fu- funny to say something like this, but uh, I mean, it's just okay. Beers. <laughs> oh yeah, of course that's uh, while my guitar gently weeps. Uh, mm. Prince version, uh, the Beatles song, your Harrison song, and uh, you, we, you asked about my dad when we talk about Boston. That's a dad band, but yeah. he never listened to Boston. However, he always puts this one on. Yeah, this is like favorite YouTube clip. Yeah, <laughs> so it's and uh, he likes Prince too. I think he's more of a Prince guy yeah. than a Boston guy. Yeah. Actually, my father. Well, uh, it's Prince, Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff Lynne, and uh, what's he called, uh, Danny. Harrison, right? Donnie Harrison, the, the son of George, that looks exactly like him. And he's standing behind Prince and he's like gawking at the, <laughs> the guitar solo. And it goes on for like, yeah, a good four minutes <laughs> or something like this. Yep. It's a really long one. And, uh, but it's also really tastefully uh, over the top. Uh, I think that uh, is, in a way, it's a really fun solo also. So I think it could, oh, yeah. sure, it's one of the best solos because it's really like, it's appropriate. <laughs> like that, that's where, yeah, why so. you have Prince uh, doing the song to have a solo on those tasty chords, I must say. Yeah, that's why the song was, that was, it was, it was written with this in mind. He just didn't know, your <laughs> Harrison didn't know, but it was kind of <laughs> written for this to happen, yeah. I would say. Yeah. It's a great solo. And I think also about being over the top, uh, if you have this really, really tight, good tone, that's you know, like a singing voice, like yeah. a beautiful voice coming from your guitar. You can get away with more over-the-top moves, and his Definitely. tone is pretty impeccable. Like there's nothing to criticize on that tone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, also like for uh, to do like to experiment so much with the guitar, also the shape of the guitar, and like he's he got all this this purple rain guitar that had a name, right? But uh, uh, that yeah. almost looks like his symbol that he later adopted, you know, with all this extravagant, uh, 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 what's it called, ornament or ornamental guitars, you know, that didn't look like you could play on them, but he really did. Um, so I think, I mean, riff-wise, I mean, if I go a bit further in, I would, I'm not, I would definitely find more, um, but I would just like to play uh, Bambi again because I think it's such a fun riff. Standout riff in his career and also in the start of his career to make such a heavy song, I think. And he really, also when you hear it, he really screams on top, like, Bambi! 
Like, uh, it's really nice. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, but I'll just play the riff one more time. Uh, if you don't have anything else to add about uh, Prince. No, just uh, really interesting to dive into Prince. Mm. It came out of left field, but not really, as usual in this show you know yeah, really enjoyed it <clears throat> i i was kind of of course looking for something to clear uh, cleanse a palate cle- pa- uh, palate cleanser after iron maiden and yep. uh, choosing like you know like a guitar centric uh, but then it's so totally different type of musician in a, but in a very nice way also i think the when you yeah. think of you know the mankind's <laughs> musical adventures you know it's so, so nice that you have or it's so fantastic that you have artists like Iron Maiden and then you have Prince, you know, operating in the, with the, within the same medium, but so totally different. T- different approaches to guitar playing as well. Thanks again, dear listener, for hanging out with us for a bit and looking into the worlds of Tim Schultz with Boston and Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince. And then again, it's Prince. Been, uh, and forever again, Prince. Prince. Right. It's been a good time. It's been an interesting little hour here. And uh, yeah, looking forward to more picks in the future. I think I got a lot of ideas in my head for coming episode, actually, <laughs> uh, at this point in time. But, you know, that goes up and down, as we all know. Yeah, I mean, I got so I got so interested. I got I got very good, or good. I don't know, very good. But I got more like like a bit like proficient in shugging. So um, might uh, might come something there. <laughs> Looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, if you like this uh, show, and if you have in your mind that you know someone that might also like it, uh, tell that person. Uh, just give them the tip, and maybe choose the episode that might fit them the best. And take it off from there that would be we would be very grateful we would be happy with that thank you there listener for sticking around with us for so long we're uh, i guess you could say we're on our second season right we we stuck around for half a year yep. uh, maybe the next half year will be season two of gain it for riffs so stick around for more riffs and more talk about riff
Gain it for riffs.